You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Mitigations for the print nightmare vulnerability are suggested. Wizard Spider has a new strain of ransomware in its toolkit. A new Ragnar Locker strain is in circulation. Netgear patches router firmware. Russia reacts to U.S. reports of a GRU brute forcing campaign. Kevin McGee from Microsoft shares some of the tools he uses to keep himself and his team up to date. Our guest is Andrew Patel from F-Secure on how to prepare security teams for AI-powered malware. And a quick look at the true costs of cybercrime. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, July 2nd, 2021. CISA and U.S. CERT urge users to disable Windows Print Spooler in domain controllers and other devices not used for printing. Microsoft's June update addressed CVE 2021-1675, being referred to as Print Nightmare, but that update didn't foreclose the possibility of exploitation. Security Boulevard reports that researchers briefly and inadvertently posted a proof-of-concept exploit for Print Nightmare last month, so this particular cat was at least briefly out of the bag. The CERT Coordination Center suggests two mitigations, both of which come at cost of some printing functionality. Option one is to stop and disable the print spooler service. Option two is to disable inbound remote printing through group policy. Bleeping Computer reports that FortiGuard Labs researchers have found the TrickBot gang Wizard Spider using a new ransomware variant, Diavol, Diavol has strong similarities to Conti, enough for high confidence in a circumstantial attribution. It doesn't have any built-in methods for avoiding installation on machines with Russian language packages, as does Conti. But like Conti, Diavol uses asynchronous I.O. operations for file encryption queuing, and it uses similar command-line parameters to achieve similar functionality. Diavol is also a bit of a throwback in that it's straight-up encryption ransomware, It doesn't appear to have any of the now customary ability to exfiltrate data as part of a double extortion scheme. Wizard Spider, generally regarded as a financially motivated criminal gang, suffered a bit of a setback when a number of TrickBot servers were taken down earlier this year. But TrickBot has survived the takedown, and Wizard Spider has stayed in business. BlackBerry has an account of the new Ragnar Locker ransomware variant, 
recently used against ADATA, manufacturer of DRAM and NAND flash products. This version of Ragnar Locker does follow the current criminal best practice in that it's a double extortion tool. It steals data before it encrypts them. Security Week reports that Netgear has patched firmware flaws in its routers. Microsoft researchers discovered and reported the issues. Yesterday's joint announcement by U.S. and British intelligence services that they detected a large-scale brute-forcing campaign run against Western targets by Russia's GRU prompted a predictable response from Russia's government. The Russian embassy in Washington issued a long statement in which it both denied any Russian involvement and complained that Russia itself was under constant U.S. cyber attack. Quote, It's high time to put things in order on the American soil from where constant attacks on critical infrastructure emerge. We emphasize that fighting against cybercrime is an inherent priority for Russia and an integral part of its state policy to combat all forms of crime. End quote. With the recent conclusion of the Russo-American summit, RT Klux, one would have hoped for better. Quote, we hope that the American side will abandon the practice of unfounded accusations and focus on professional work with Russian experts to strengthen international information security. End quote. That's Russian official sources after the Geneva meetings. RT also notes that Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said after the summit, quote, Moscow sent more than 40 appeals to Washington regarding American cyber attacks, but received very few responses. End quote. This and other protestations of Russian innocence, like those published in RT, strike most observers as unconvincing, but it certainly looks as if the aquarium has let the bears out. The register suggests a road not taken by Moscow's diplomats. People should be thanking the Kremlin for the free pen testing. Thanks, Vlad, for the cyber checkup and the containerization case study, the register says. Recent cyber incidents have exacted a fiscal toll on their actual and potential victims. Security firm IronNet places the average cost to affected companies of the solar winds compromise at 11% of annual revenue, which is high enough by any account. IronNet told IT Brief that one of the reasons for the high impact is that organizations still have a tendency to fight off attacks on their own, and they might well do better with more information sharing. But you needn't actually be hit with a cyber attack or a cybercrime caper to take a bit of a financial bath. One place higher costs show up is in the insurance market. The reinsurance broker Willis said that for the July renewal season, cyber reinsurance rates have risen by up to 40%. Reuters reports, citing a study by Coveware, that the average ransom payment made by a business to restore data after a cyber attack was $220,000 in the first quarter, up 43% from the last quarter of 2020. James Vickers, chair of Willis International, told Reuters that reinsurers that have been writing cyber are looking at considerably worse results than a few years ago. I don't think people had really imagined the extent of the ransomware attacks going on. End quote. These are big jumps. Here's one comparison. Property reinsurance rates for the U.S. state of Florida were up as well in July, but only by 30%, not the 40% seen in cyber policies. And remember, hurricane season is just getting underway in the Sunshine State.
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. For several years now, artificial intelligence and machine learning have been popular buzzwords in the cybersecurity world, practically irresistible to the folks in marketing. The terms may have reached cliché status, but under the hood, it can be powerful, effective technology. Andrew Patel is a researcher at the Artificial Intelligence Center of Excellence at F-Secure, and he and his colleagues have been looking at ways to train up AI systems on the attack side— to better prepare our defenses for that inevitable day when the bad actors unleash AI-powered malware on the world. Artificial intelligence is really being used as a blanket statement right now, that uh, mostly for machine learning. Hmm. So that's the way that when, when someone talks about artificial intelligence, um, or has done in the last few years, that's, that's what I immediately um, kind of switch to, is talking about machine learning. I mean, artificial intelligence uh, has a, a, lo- a large range of stuff that it represents, all the way from when you talk about games, uh, you know, game AI, like the AI that will play um, StarCraft against you if, if you play against a computer, or mm. uh, all the way up to artificial intelligence as in actual machine intelligence uh, running on a computer. So right now, though, I think that we're, I mean, when I think of artificial intelligence, it's just the default of what people are referring to, which is machine learning. Well, and, and for several years now, we've had folks who are selling products that help defend against malware. They've, uh, you know, made, uh, made, made hay out of the fact that their products are using AI to help you defend yourself. But I think more and more we're hearing that um, AI may be being used by the folks who are uh, producing the malware themselves. And, and that's something that you and your team are tracking. Well, I mean, I would say that if, uh, if the folks who are making the malware are using machine learning techniques right now, it's most likely for data analysis stuff. Hmm. But um, there's no way of us really knowing that are getting a hold of their their computers that they're using to do this stuff. Um, so there's speculation, but no real evidence of that. As far as putting machine learning methodologies into malware, I mean, there have been academic publications which talk about that, but they're 
really quite academic. <laughs> and examples like uh, one being Microsoft that used a neural net to, to further obfuscate a payload inside an executable, which, hmm. which is basically a technique to make reverse engineering even more difficult. So there's no, as far as, as I can tell, nobody's been looking at building malware where the logic uh, has been created with machine learning techniques. I see. Now, do you imagine this sort of thing being kind of you know self-contained, where uh, it would be using these capabilities within a single system that it had infiltrated, or and or would it be able to you know phone home and say, hey, you know, on this system, here's where we had success, here's where we had failure. So the next time a system gets infected, it's been able to learn from the experience of previous attempts. So, I mean, right now what I envisage is uh, training it sort of offline. You train it on your infrastructure. And then you would use this as a tool when you arrive on an actual um, target infrastructure. So um, it's a tool that allows you to automate some of the steps that you would have had to do manually if you're an attacker. But as far as like it learning um, as a as a deployed tool, I, um, that's something that would be sort of a more of a futuristic thing. I think. I so see. this is essentially what we're doing is um, instead of hand coding the logic to do those steps, we're training it to 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 build that logic. And for a very simple scenarios, of course, one can hand code that logic. Uh, but when it gets more complicated, then hand coding that logic becomes really messy and unmaintainable. So this approach might be better for uh, more complicated or more generalized attack scenarios that we want to look at. And suppose this sort of thing is you know, unleashed on the world. What sort of adjustments would need to be made to people's defenses? One of the reasons for doing this would be that a tool like this could execute a series of steps very quickly. So that would be the change, I think, that that uh, once this sort of thing becomes a reality, then the idea of, of having a period of time to, to react to something uh, kind of goes away because these, the whole attack chain can happen very, very quickly. So it really allows the, the attacking system to be both nimble and fast. Yeah. I would suggest that like for um, the time being, Tools like these would be useful against environments which, which are, uh, have low security, which have bad security that, for instance, might not be running breach detection solutions or IDS that might not have their antivirus up to date or proper firewall rules so that, that would have uh, misconfigurations that could be attacked. So th a tool like this would be really useful for an attacker to be able to do more things than they have time in the day to do otherwise because they can just... When they find a system that, that's a low security, they can just run the tool. When they find a system that's much more hardened, you'll still require a human to figure out how to attack it and, and how to be stealthy and not get noticed. That's Andrew Patel from F-Secure. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Kevin McGee. He is the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Uh, Kevin, it's always great to have you back. You know, one thing that I know that we all struggle with that I wanted to check in with you on is just keeping current. You know, the, the tools that you use, the resources you use in the midst of doing your job, how do you make sure that you're up to date? Thanks for having me back, Dave. And, and this really is one of the most consistent questions I get asked by colleagues or customers or, or my students just in even random folks on social media is, um, and it turns out to be my favorite question to answer is, you know, what have you been reading lately? How do you keep up? The simple answer is I read everything I can. And, and the more detailed, um, you know, the, the problem, I think the more, more detailed and more sophisticated uh, the inputs I need to be keeping up and on. Because ultimately a big part of my role as a leader is, uh, is just keeping up not only with what's happening in the industry, but also world events and the threat landscape in general. And this can mean everything you know, from simply, you know, sorting out what, what matters are happening throughout the day, uh, but also what threats are emerging. And the sheer volume of information is just staggering and, and growing in complexity. So I really need to be very selective of what, uh, you know, what I'm ingesting, what I'm reading, what I'm consuming, and, and not just what, but, you know, how, when, and why really matters as well, too. Yeah, how do you come at that from a time management point of view? So I really look at it from three horizons of information I need to be consuming, and I call them now, today, and tomorrow. And I know that's not, this is why I'm in security, not in marketing. Uh, that's the best I could really <laughs> come up with for, uh, for how to segment it. But now is my, my tool of, um, of choice is sort of Twitter. And uh, if it's in the newspapers, it's already too, too old. I, I really need a real-time monitor. So I have a monitor above my workspace and continuously drips columns of tweets and lists of people of, topics that uh, that I fall and um, whatever piques my interest, I'll create a new column uh, uh, to track a trend or a subject or event that's happening uh, in real time. And I can uh, really look at it sort of like I'm watching the matrix uh, um, and see what's, what's happening out there in real time. Um, I also have a daily approach to my intel, which is probably where I invest most of my time. And it really comes down to a number of form factors, uh, but ultimately it's two categories. One's the news, uh, sort of the traditional news sites, blog posts that everyone reads. Um, the other is a very select group of what I call trusted aggregators or curators that I follow. And for me, it's mostly newsletters and podcasts, you know, where someone whose judgment I trust has provided a summary or a list of the most important topics of the day. And some of my, my favorites are, of course, Cyberwire, um, uh, the podcast and newsletters. Uh, Pinkerton Daily Insights is another great one. Um, the World This Week section of The Economist, a great I place to find sort of the geopolitical aspects of the day. And, and, and it may not be a security source, but it, it gives me a lot of context that I should be thinking about. Uh, Recorded Future Daily. Um, Graham Cully, is, uh, um, his uh, site's fantastic for what's happening almost in real time. And his uh, Smashing Security Podcast is great as well, too. 
But the trick is really to find people who are doing the hard work, the research and the deep reading, and then who can also deliver me the best summarized and actionable intel. Uh, that's what I'm really looking for in sort of my daily uh, intel intake. And then beyond that, you know, the, the stuff that, that's coming up, the future stuff, how do, you, uh, how do you ingest that? Yeah, I think that that's my tomorrow section. So it's not just what interests me, um, but what I need to be mindful of and what, um, what topics are, are going to be uh, of uh, future requirement for my thinking. And, and those are the ones I really want to spend some time uh, in depth to address, uh, not just my day-to-day challenges, but uh, my future plan and strategic thinking. So I'm constantly seeking out recommendations to fill my blind spots um, in terms of what I should be looking at. And this could be uh, anyone, anything from talking to folks like yourself. I always love to ask, what are you reading? Um, it's uh, places like the Cybersecurity Canon Project set up by uh, Rick Howard, where um, sort of the greatest minds of our industry are nominating uh, the key books that we should all be reading. Uh, and also just beyond sort of reading podcasts, documentaries, seminars, uh, anything where I can sort of expand my overall uh, knowledge base, but also really grow myself as a, a security professional and leader. From a, from a leadership point of view, how do you dial in the things that you spend your own personal time on and the things that you delegate to the folks that you work with? Um, I, th- I think there's a few answers to that. One would be um, you know, the chance to develop the team, to give them uh, interesting uh, challenges to look into and research and see how they approach it. And the, uh, the great thing about having a, a very diverse team with lots of different backgrounds and perspectives are sometimes approach the challenge or the problem or the research of that solution in a much different way um, than I would. So sometimes casting your net wider and allowing the team to, uh, to delegate uh, or delegating to the team to solve some of those challenges is, uh, is really, really enlightening. And I often hear answers or uh, perspectives or uh, different approaches that would have never occurred to me. Um, so some of the, the larger things that I look into, again, I, I'm, I ask my team, um, I ask my customers, I ask other folks within the organizations to recommend, you know, where we should be listening to. And I take a mindfulness approach. I really try not to solution the problem or, or come up with where I should be going to find out the answer. And I really step back and look at where the data is taking me or where the, my interests are taking me or, you know, where a nagging suspicion in the back of my head is taking me when it comes to a, a threat or whatnot. And I let that guide, uh, you know, where I do my research. And that served me well. It's sort of the hacker intuition, I guess, that uh, is uh, really built into our organization, that, that spirit of curiosity. Um, I let it often guide me in terms of where I, uh, where I research and where I spend a lot of uh, time thinking. All right. Well, Kevin McGee, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We've got a long holiday weekend coming up here in the U.S., and if you're looking for something to do, check out Research Saturday, my conversation with Tom Roeder from Minerva Labs. We're going to be discussing rigging Windows installations. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. 
listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 